You're listening to the Rec2Tech podcast. We connect the tech thought leaders across the globe to deliver content that allows you to make better career and hiring decisions. All right. Hi, Maria. Thanks Hello. for uh, joining me for uh, for a conversation. Um, obviously, as a, as a brief introduction on uh, where we are, obviously, I'm calling you from... Uh, from Darwin Recruitment, we've worked together in the past. Just let the uh, people know a bit more about your about yourself, Maria. Yes, uh, so hi everyone. Uh, my name is Maria. Uh, uh, I have a background in physics uh, and education from the University of Copenhagen. And I worked as a data scientist for quite some time until I changed my role into a more uh, manager role, which uh, I am currently in, yes. Nice. Yes, very aware of that role. Yes, so I'm currently working at a company called Portchain, and we are um, kind of exploring the possibilities for software development and um, especially optimization software development within the shipping industry. Cool. Yeah, yeah it's a brilliant business. Obviously, worked with you for that for that position, uh, and they're, they're a great company, Portchain. If you don't know about them. So it's worth worth definitely giving them a look. They're excellent. So a bit of a soft spot for them. Look, outside of Port Chain, the reason that I wanted to speak with you today was was a was a little bit different. And and I'll I'll tell you the motivation of of how it kind of started my end. Now I would imagine that most recruiters have had this in the past. Mm. Uh, it was a while ago now, and I spoke to a client of mine who said, you know, it's, it's going on with COVID, you know, it's hard to onboard which we understand at the moment is fine but if you have a woman that is always good but if you've got a woman that could fit into the team i would be very interested then we could speak maybe you know that we could find a space with someone like that now mm-hmm. that got me thinking because it's not the first time that i heard it so it kind of got the cogs working and i thought why and even inherently it was almost like an acceptance to be like, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, because it felt not normal. But in retrospect, it felt like something that should arise a thousand questions of why that's it, that's acceptable. Mm. So, you know, for the obvious reason, obviously, you're a woman in the industry, um, but I also know that you've actively looked into things like this before and done areas. You felt like the right person to speak to about this and I suppose educate anyone, in, including myself, um, and try and touch on some points that I have. So that's that's kind of the motivation behind this uh, and where we go from that. So I'd, I'd like to find out a bit more about you and your journey and and then obviously around that question as well. So mm. go forward. So look, as a woman that obviously got in as a, as a physicist and then obviously took that route, what was your education like? What was your experience education doing like these STEM, STEM degrees? Um, well, I guess for me, it was uh, quite, I guess you can call it a lucky journey. Um, I've been very uh, in very good hands during my, my studies, both at the University of Cyprus, but also at the University of Copenhagen. Um, what, what I mean in the sense of quite lucky is kind of the physics community and the STEM community, when you do enter that academic world, it's, it's a very closed and um, small um, circle which means um, you do create very strong relationships with, with your uh, 
for students, but also with your professors. So um, I'm <laughs> quite still in touch with everyone from university, basically, especially my professors. Um, so in that sense, my education, of course, it was really hard um, and really <laughs> tough, long nights uh, studying. Um, but it was very smooth and you do make um, connections through, through that education that uh, is long lasting. I felt really great support uh, from my professors around kind of to be encouraged to take leaps into different areas. Um, of course, when I was studying, uh, I never considered, you know, the data science role and back in time, it was, it was not a big hype. So we kind of knew that you had the possibility to move into the industry, but we didn't really know how and when and where. Um, so I guess the within the couple of last years, this data science community kind of arose and you see a lot of physicists and especially people educated in STEM uh, entering that field. But I'm very yeah. lucky with my studies, very lucky. Good, so I mean, that sounds like obviously a real positive experience, especially you stay in touch with everyone, professors and obviously other other students and friends. Why do you think, like from your experience being positive, why do you think that the ratios are so low with with women getting into sort of STEM degrees to start with? Yeah, so I guess it has the what what from what I've seen, I've been part of two different universities and I also participated in an exchange program in Sweden. But from what I've seen is, it really depends on the culture where you are. So for example, at the University of Cyprus, due to kind of the, the political differences with, with the political situation of the island and the circumstances, every man was obliged to go to the army. So our faculty, especially the physics faculty, was around 90% women. Oh, really? um, oh, okay. uh, so it was completely the opposite because every every boy, every, every man will basically need to attend army and therefore they will lose their spot and then kind of uh, move forward with much easier studies after, after that. Where um, in Denmark, since political situation is quite uh, steady here, um, it was the opposite. The ratios was a little bit different. So we were probably a handful of females during my studies here at the University of Copenhagen, but we were strongly encouraged to kind of move forward through the studies. So at least female-wise, we didn't see anybody dropping out through, through the studies as it was here. Now, how is this kind of degree or kind of change from university, from academia into the industry translates into I guess you do have already now small por portions um, of female candidates attending the studies. It is increasing over the years, but of course the kind of the percentage of the difference is very small. Um, and therefore when you do enter the industry, the percentages are even less. It is almost non-existent um, kind yeah. of representation, unfortunately. Okay, All right, so yeah, so what is that transition from education into um the working world obviously of actually using these seven degrees professional companies is that where it's falling apart that's where is that where this field was falling through and it, it's not coming around or yeah so that's one it's kind of it's just the ba basic 
it's still the ignorance around what you can do when you graduate and how you can apply your skills in different industries and in different levels. So there is some sort of gap between academia and industry, but also once you enter within the industry, um, kind of how to describe this, the, the inclusivity part, kind of the representation within the industry is so low that um, it's really hard to see yourself, you know, moving forward in that in that field. It does lack a lot of role models, female role models, to kind of really see yourself how you can nourish and, and propagate through. Um, and also taking into account kind of the data science field being very demanding and already already culturally kind of bearing this heavy male <laughs> atmosphere. Um, it's also kind of the benefits that the work offers are slightly different from kind of um, a typical work that you will find as well. So some companies might not support kind of the basic needs that you might need uh, as a female employee. What do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by the basic? Because that's really interesting that there might be basic needs that aren't being met that would be really maybe appealing specifically to women joining. Um, so what, what do you find that would be? Yeah, so for example, uh, um, kind of addressing specific uh, requirements like maternity leave, um, parental leave and so on, and kind of supporting day-to-day -day working from home and being able to pick up your children, uh, you know, at 4 p.m. when the kindergarten closes. Okay, so that level of flexibility, we might have responsibility family-wise. Yeah. Okay, do you know what as well? That's It's funny you bring it up because my experience tells me that a lot of Danish companies are really open to that, male or female. Um, loads of male candidates I've had that have had to pick people up from school, uh, pick their kids up. And companies, 99% of the time, mm. are fine with it, unless there's you know, a big product launch or some deadline on a project. But that's just, that's work, isn't it? So, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm, su I'm surprised. But I think my experience says that's quite open. So do you think that isn't voiced? to people or have you found that that's not the case for companies to offer yes i think it acts as a barrier right because you you tell you're building in your subconscious that this is this is one of parts usually of your life that you would like to follow uh, at one point in time and you do find this uh being a big barrier especially if you're kind of changing roles thinking about promotion thinking about um, expanding your career, that this might act as a barrier. And if you, for example, are within a very demanding data science role um, or trying to propagate through through the, through the levels, that might act as a barrier. Um, it is very open. It is, you know, kind of very perceived um, as well. But you can call it almost like an unconscious, you know, decision that we still struggle with um, even today. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So look, I mean, obviously there's points where through the education that you've obviously gone through where it's obvious that they're maybe not making it as clear or giving the role models and all things like that, um, that definitely help, but you've decided to become a data scientist. Through <laughs> that. So why? <laughs> well, yes, let's see. So I did struggle myself with kind of you know, really choosing the career path and kind of focusing in different areas. You have so many options, it's it's almost overwhelming. So for me, it actually kind of happened by chance. So um, 
well, I, I was very dedicated that I had to find a really, really interesting master thesis when I was studying here um, at the University of Copenhagen, very determined. And I kind of looked really outside the box. I spent several months kind of just looking for the topic. And uh, well, luckily through an event I met at that time, my, my manager and uh, uh, a specialist within a company that at the end became my supervisor for my thesis. But the idea was kind of, well, basically we kind of collectively agreed that this is a good idea to work on a project that had involved, that involved large amounts of data for me to go through, um, process it and get insights from my thesis, which was great. Um, so uh, it, it was not an actively conscious decision to say, yes, I'm gonna do data mining for this particular company, but it was more kind of, I'm really interested about this physical problem that I would like to solve. And the only way to solve it is to get through this huge amount of data. So uh, for me, this is kind of, that was the transition. I got myself into this very awesome project. And uh, from there on, it's kind of, the project just became more and more interesting, involving more and more data. And uh, we kind of started shifted away. The focus started shifting away from data science and it went into machine learning and deep learning and kind of really expanded into, into different areas. So um, it was not kind of a pursue, I'm gonna be a data scientist from now on, I'm gonna run these models. It was more kind of, these problems are so interesting to solve. And the only way you can address them was uh, by kind of looking into, into, into these methods. Yeah, yeah, look, I'd, I've been doing this for a while now and you certainly aren't the first person that has fallen into data science. <laughs> Seems to be a big catching glove that kind of catches people on the way past um, while they're trying to solve certain problems or achieve certain things. So, I mean, that's, yeah, certainly not unusual in that sense. But do you think that's what the difference was? Because it sounds like your personal drive to sort of solve said problem eventually led you to working in a professional company doing what needed to be done to solve that problem exactly yeah? so i suppose in relations back there when you had other people and other women going through for stem because it sounds like you know obviously that's dependent on what's important to you and yet that would lead you to down the line that men think the by the massive percentage that think that what they're doing is far more cool than they want to pursue it and the women don't which is obviously not the case it'd be, be stupid to think it so why does it drop off at that point if we're, if we're driven by what we find interesting what we want to achieve what we want to we want to come by where, where is that division happen then to to make that make that change um well, so for me, it was kind of more of a drive and you can call it an edge case um, in that yeah. sense. Um, I kind of, from what I've seen through different discussions I had with my colleagues, the few female colleagues that I had, but also um, with, with, with the students from the university is kind of the main blocker was we didn't really know what the data science field was. I mean, we were educated into a way of thinking on problem solving and, you know, fixing fixing problems with code and using different models and kind of really figuring out how to solve problems. But it was not very, like, you know, it was not a label saying, oh, this is a career path for you. Yeah. So yeah. kind of this, 
gap, like I mentioned before, of graduating and not being able to recognize your options. What options do you have? You don't even scout for the, this type of jobs when you're fresh out of university. So um, I have a set of uh, friends that will not, they had exactly the same background as I had um, where, where I was working as a data scientist because, you know, um, of the way I've been recruited, but mostly for my friends, they didn't even consider applying for a data science role because they could not imagine how this, how their skills would translate into this, in this role. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It obviously goes on to the, the appeal within companies kind of showing how it can develop and what that, that sort of linear path could be to get into so obviously you've you've fallen into it like a lot of like a lot of people have and you find yourself becoming a data scientist how are you then in finding that environment um of joining how are you then finding like what was that like i mean the actual environment is is it's very fun it's if you like math man you'll love it (laughs) it's i mean the the environment's or the teams that you're surrounded with, they're usually very dynamic, very active, strong in confidence to pursue kind of not the results that you're looking for, but the answers that you're you're finding fighting for. Um, so in that, that aspect, it's it's a great atmosphere to be in, and you definitely cultivate yourself and you learn day by day. On the other hand, you can also find yourself being very isolated in a way. Um, so for me, at least, <laughs> when I joined uh, for my master thesis and then kind of stayed in that pos- in the position um, as a full-time employee later on, um, I think I found myself, it was a year and a half where we had no other female software engineer, software developer, data scientist on our floor, which was around 100, 200 people, which I found really, really disturbing so we had administrative workers we had managers within other areas kind of more administrative managers and team leads supporting the well-being hr partners being females but no other data scientists so in a way it can be a very um how do you call it it can be it can be felt like a man cave environment yeah (laughs) yeah definitely did you address that did you say why is it so un- undiverse? And, and I'm sure it wasn't on purpose. Um, I'm, I'm convinced of that because I mean, I won't, I won't say it, but I know the business you're talking about. So yes. I know that's the case. Um, so why do you think that was? So I think it, it has to do with, with the transition into how the field emerged and kind of started migrating towards what we know today. So um, at least the part that I was in part of in in that company was uh, I was part of the group IT so any uh, emerging software developers or kind of data scientists would be embedded kind of employees that work previously within IT um, or with software not software development but more kind of IT architecture and uh, enterprise architecture of IT systems and you would see this kind of people migrating softly into into the field of data science. And if you think about it, kind of people that have been hired, you know, 10 years, 20, 30 years ago uh, within that area of, let's call it IT, um, 
it was it was all guys. Uh -huh. So the transitions kind of migrating into data science, it was by default kind of incorporated that it will be uh, a more men incorporated world. Now, it was funny because um, at that time my my manager was a was a kind of a female manager, and uh, we did have this discussion. It's like. Um, What's up? Why can why you know why are we the only ones uh, right in this office? What is happening here? And at that time, which was a couple of years ago, we kind of didn't really see the problem. We just thought you know it's a lack of candidates and it's really hard. Uh, it's really hard to to hire female software developers and data scientists. Um, kind of spending more time and looking deeply into the problem. <laughs> now we know there is a there's a healthy pool of candidates that you can easily uh, target if, if that's what you're pursuing. Um, but it is the way that we communicate this information about the position, the culture, what we bring into and how we attract the talent that has an effect on who, who we actually get. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm, sounds like you, you address the situation though, especially if your manager was a woman as well. I'm sure that was a conversation where it was pretty obvious. <laughs> Hundred odd other men in there, like this is very strange. Uh, this is this has not been the case. But regarding companies, can you think of times? I, I won't ask specific companies. I'll ask mm -hmm. it a different way. Can you think of certain ways that companies can address this situation? that you think is you know, the best way of doing it? Because obviously the whole, I'll tell a recruiter if he's found a woman that would be great yes. if you're in somewhere is not the way to do it. So what do you think, do you, what is your answer? What do you think the right answer is? Yeah, so um, the way I see it, it's not more only attracting kind of, you know, gender-orientated candidates, yep. but it's also, it's more about building a more diverse environment within the company. Um, so let's let's go a little bit more into into why we attract um, the people that are more familiar to us so when we do communicate job postings and information on social media and you know LinkedIn um, we do tend to write in a way and communicate this uh, job descriptions in a way that is more appealing to people similar to us so we would use a language or expressions that are sound appealing to us. Um, and for example, if I do write something, it's uh, it's very likely that I, my text will be more appealing to people similar with my background, probably my age, um, and very likely to my gender, that it will resonate more with them. So when we have job descriptions that are either written by a specific type of person, you have kind of a very direct link that the applicants that will apply for that judge description will be within the same kind of category. So what do you want to do when you do kind of share this information that you're actually hiring? You want to attract the, the more diverse pool of candidates. So the solution is simple, is you need to make your language more inclusive. And in that way, what I'm trying to say is kind of make sure that the language that you're using in your job descriptions is it's not biased towards specific minorities, um, ethnicities, but also particular genders. So at the end, 
it's not that you are addressing to hire a female candidate, but you have the chance to evaluate equally uh, between everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really pleased you mentioned that because I'm, I, I think like the reason I come across all of this was at the core, like we've mentioned before, mm. I think the whole of employing someone because of, you know, their gender, and even if it's for the right reasons, is, is to be frank, stupid. You know, yeah, you want diversity, but surely that should be an outcome of unbiased agenda creates diversity as opposed to actively seeking it because exactly. then you're employing people for the completely wrong reason, aren't you? It's the, well, we, she, she wasn't good enough, but she's a woman and we need we need another girl to get our quote in so we get someone in or vice versa. Is wrong for everyone involved. So I'm pleased you mentioned that. And it actually kind of goes in to other areas you've worked in, which really made this in relevant, I think, for us to talk, with the thing you've done with Women Hacker. So obviously, yes. from understanding CEO and founder, where you're actively looking to bring more women in. So how is, how are you looking to do that? What's the premise around that? Especially with that mantra of yours, it being the right people, not just gender-driven. Why Women Hacker? Yes, so like I mentioned before, so the kind of the concept came out for a discussion that I had with, with my friends around why we're not we aware that we can pursue a data science role. We know it's fun. We know it's what we like. Um, we also know it's, you, you know, it's a well-recognized position and so on. So the what, what we wanted to address with the, with the Women Hack CPH was uh, to kind of bridge the gap between the academia where we were uh, with the industry. We saw the the graduates from the universities kind of were not sure what to pursue, and we saw the problem: the industries could not get the collective um, workforce that they were seeking for. So we decided to kind of through events, uh, in this particular case, hackathon events, um, to collect this pool of candidates that we thought had potentials um, to be within the field of data science, software developer, and had a general interest in it. And we took companies that also had on their agenda diversity and inclusivity and were not actively seeking to hire female candidates, but they were interested in the conversation, what that can bring and what they can do. Um, they also, this company, saw this gap, you know, uh, through their recruitment process that they actually didn't get the... The, the candidates that not as a diverse pool of candidates as they expected. So what we decided to do is recruit ourselves uh, through non-bias, in a way, um, method. Uh, the female candidates that we were generally interested in, kind of really interested into pursuing this career, but maybe not haven't tried it yet, haven't applied the skills yet, really didn't know what it was, never kind of really tried to, you know, write software or played with the technologies that the data science field offers. So we took these girls, either freshly graduated from university or about to be graduated. Um, we contacted companies that were actively seeking to hire, but also identified this problem. We put them together in a room for, uh, for two days straight, where the actual companies presented a problem or problems, multiple problems that the business faced uh, with real-time data, so the data that they collectively had internally, 
um, and asked these candidates to basically solve the, the problems or identify some solutions that they could see. So within the two days, uh, kind of overnight hackathon for, for these very talented candidates, we had multiple solutions how to address different business needs. And uh, it was all, um, in this case, female candidates due to the fact that we really tried to emphasize um, on the gender gap within the data science field. Yeah. Okay. So what was the company like after you done this? What happened after that point? So, yes. Yeah, so um, we organized several events and participated in, uh, in several of them. So the first one, which was kind of the main driver event that we organized, the outcome was the, the winning team actually um, got to pitch their idea to the business. And they've been sponsored to implement this solution internally uh, for for that particular company. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, that's pretty cool. So is that, is that still a process that's going on? Are they still implementing that? Still working with this business? Yeah. So as I as I understand, they have a really close connection. So if not recruited by the actual company, but they have definitely worked with it, and their ideas definitely have been implemented in uh, into real-time application within the company who do, you, who do you think was the best benefit out of out of that whole process there because for me what you've said there is you've gone taking the obviously these women that have passed and their education are about to clearly very capable i take it you screen and look for some real good good candidates and then you've introduced this company and then taking this solution Who's the biggest benefit of that? Because to me, it seems it seems so obvious that you know, kind of, what's the conclusion that women can do data science as well? Like, yeah, yeah, those that should already be out there. So, but who do you think was the most like eureka moment where maybe the girls are doing it were going, oh, actually, data science is a viable path um, that I really enjoy, or was it the company saying maybe we should concentrate on this more? Who, who was the bigger benefit from that? Oh, well, we did run several surveys after the events just to get a little bit more insight on this. And yeah. actually, there were two side benefits in a way. So first was around like around 90% or higher um, of every candidate that participated in one of these events. They were convinced that they would like to work for a company like this. And then they would actively seek for jobs in this particular companies, um, either after graduating or on at the time that uh, the events were happening. So that was kind of a very uh, big plus for, for our partners in a way that, well, they will get these candidates um, and they can have the equal opportunity to compare them to the rest. Um, the second part was, I guess, this is more of, a, of the attendees point of view, kind of this, the biggest benefit was not only it was fun and you know the it, it was fun working with the technologies and kind of making new friends it's more kind of like i said it's uh the industry is so close not the industry the field is so closed and it's so small that it's really hard to find very like-minded people like yourself especially if you're a female so yeah. having 30 50 100 talented people within different areas within different backgrounds with the same interests it, it was it was mind-blowing in a way that they made connections 
and they make partnerships um, around themselves. So they, they form their groups and they work together for, for two, three days until they solve the problem. And then what we see today is their connections are still holding until today. Oh, really? Okay, that's pretty good. And were they rel most of them relative strangers or strangers before they'd started this? Yes, exactly. You can call it more of a kind of, a, it is a network, right? So you make, you build your network with, within the same industry to support you and uh, reach out to in case of uh, difficulty or success. But then you know you're not alone, which is exactly what we were aiming for, to find this either higher role models, people that, you know, you're inspired to, or find a partner that can support you uh, through your day to day. Okay, so I, I didn't think about that side to it. It sounds like just having that where the women that you had attending outside of the professional exposure or an insight to, to data science if they haven't done that before, it was actually building a relevant network of people they could have as, or they felt were peers from different background, the same interest, that really built that sort of confidence or build that understanding for them to go, oh, this is something that not only can I thriving but i could actually meet like-minded people and have exactly right. yeah because i didn't think of that because i suppose that's stage two so when you're talking about the role before where it's you and one manager and you're thinking well where do i fit into this like <laughs> does it does it feel like you're natural and it might just be natural human nature to feel like well if every single person that's a manager is a is a, is a guy and they're from the same kind of background how will I get there? Does it feel that way? Do you naturally feel like an almost invisible barrier is created by that? Um, I think, well, you can, and I myself get inspired by male managers as well, right? Yeah. I do. There is a set of great leaders that, uh, that I am inspired to, regardless of their gender. I think okay. the, the barrier comes so much when it is decisions that are more kind of, or perceptions that are different for, for females in the workplace. And sometimes once in a while, you need to spare this or kind of get guidance about how to, to lead and navigate through that environment from a different point of view. Um, I do wanna say, you know, we have equal opportunities and we are perceived in the workplace equally, yeah. but you do, face a different path and a different perception as a female um leader within within different organizations yeah yeah no i agree look i mean when it comes to the opportunity and the equality of that and how that could work um yes well, yeah that especially places like denmark um i think make a real active approach on that um which again actually i thought why it was so interesting because you end up in a place that is i've seen this that people make an active approach to it. I have never seen, um, I've never really seen much form of any discrimination um, when it comes to hiring in any way um, in a company like Denmark, in a country like Denmark, shall I say. So the fact that there was disparity and there was that natural pull off is what I think made it even more, more interesting than that would be the, that'd be the case. I suppose naturally, if you don't, although they're actively looking to do it, if yes. you aren't seeing people that look exactly like, you know, that aren't exactly like yourself, it's harder to visualize, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And 
Exactly. Um, I have talked to many people about this, a lot of women, but also some very successful and talented male managers. Um, and kind of just basically discussing different perspective and how they see the perspective around this. Everybody, everybody, I haven't met one person that kind of said, no, you know, this is, this is not an issue. But then some of the decisions that we make on a day-to-day um, that does affect the collective, especially the group collective, um, some considerations you don't take into account when, and you don't consider, you know, how it will affect the other party and the person that is slightly different than you, uh, yeah. which is very interesting because we don't do it consciously. We don't make decisions based on, you know, to collectively harm someone or uh, make someone feel uh, bad. It's more kind of, it's just considerations that is really hard to perceive because we don't have the same background. Yeah. I think maybe it's like the like ignorance in a positive way because you know you have genuine motivations where you know you're not biased or you're being discriminative. You exactly. probably have like an approach to show that you're not. You go, well, I, I am. It's a bit like giving direction to your own house, isn't it? You always forget that not everyone knows where you live. You go, oh, yeah, you got to turn here. I just presumed you're on the way. <laughs> it is the unconscious. You can call it the unconscious bias. You're not aware of it. It is a bias that you carry. Um, and there is nothing you can do about it unless you are surrounded by diverse people, um, you know, diverse team and diverse mindset as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, so yeah, you can really see this also translating into actual data science with the training data sets and, you know, how different algorithms tend to weigh out into different areas that, because simply the data that the algorithm has been trained on was not considered to be representative because if your team, you know, is very concrete and very like-minded, how on earth would you consider something different? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just by the natural environment that's created, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. But now, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here, Maria, all right? So, obviously, you've, you have these wonderful you know, thoughts and these ideas and your own experiences. You're now in a position of being a, a product owner. So, I know that your role has a level of influence to a certain degree, uh, and I, I know they'll listen to your opinion. So, what have you actively been doing your end? Regarding the time um, there, book chain, is there yes. anything able to do or implement? Absolutely, absolutely. So we we did take a lot of initiatives into into consideration around this topic, and we did actually consider a lot of different tools into how we um, kind of use uh, biased or unbiased language in the way we communicate our job descriptions, but also kind of social media, uh, online content in general. So it's not more kind of make it appealing for, for different candidates to apply, but also make sure that general public that is interested in our content is also has the possibility to be perceived correctly. So we do take a lot of um, action into how we present ourselves into, into the world and how we make sure we're as much as in as inclusive as we possibly can be. Um, and in the meantime, we also spin out like a small, um, we call it <laughs> Women Superheroes uh, Club at Portrain, <laughs> where we basically encourage every female employee to kind of 
look into different areas uh, of either their leadership style or kind of their development, how their development is different through, through any other development that they will see through their careers and kind of just catch up and embrace each other once in a while. So every month or every two months to, to make sure that the, we're, we're still an inclusive company and we do include and we take that this particular uh, topic into account. Okay, I think that's pretty cool. I, I think that really aligns what you said before about you being able to easily perceive people. And it doesn't even have to be a manager or someone that's sort of above you, hierarchy, like that's, oh, they're, they're sort of better to look up to. It can be a colleague, can't it? It could be anyone in the, in the office that you got together and they said, oh, they've achieved this, they've done this, sort of so can I, um, being sort of the role models that you can you can look for. So I, I think that I think that's quite cool, especially when you know if you're let's be honest, if you're if you're a Danish guy working in data science, you probably haven't got to look that far for someone <laughs> you can aspire to. There's like you, um, turn your chair around, um, you'll probably find a few people um, that you can you can see. So yeah, I, I think that's I think that's pretty cool. It's nice that you guys did you drive that or were Paul Chain driving it already beforehand? I think um, the dialogue happened before I joined. Um, yeah, but we definitely needed a little kick um, since I started. So um, I did start the conversation, but it was not a, a hard conversation to start. No, I'm sure not. No, I know, obviously know the guy. So yeah, I'm sure it was an easy transition. But it's, it's nice that you managed to make uh, an influence in that anyway, and uh, and play a part in it. The last two questions I'll kind of ask you. Um, and they're very generic and it probably plays into what you've said but before. But what was the key advice? Now, I know we mentioned about the tools that we can use. Uh, and I know the tools you're talking about where it makes language more neutral and more inclusive. And things. There's a few of those. I think that one of those is actually a partner of Darwin, uh, I think. So <laughs> the name. Um, but I know you mean that there. But as general advice, if you're talking to anything large businesses smes maybe companies that can't invest into this kind of you know the obvious mm. tools that give you a quick win what is your advice to them to be able to make this more interesting to to female data scientists yes so it's a it's a good question because um of course there's um there's a barrier also within your communication strategy into how much of this you want to put emphasis on and where is it appropriate within your industry to make kind of this type of communication statements. Um, the tips are very simple. I mean, it's kind of, besides making the language more inclusive or just simply showing um, the job descriptions to not just yourself, but kind of going through a different iteration process of reviewing from different peers, uh, either different backgrounds or even different ages. Um, it's also making a clear statement within the job description that you are looking for um, different backgrounds, different different type of personnel and encourage them to apply. Um, I think it's it's one thing to attract the talent and there are a set of tools that we already see in the market that you can utilize. I really find it more about inclusion and how you retain the talent rather than uh, scouting it. 
um, you can put different initiatives in different directions, how you market yourself, how you include, how you make yourself visible as a company. Yeah. Um, and that is quite straightforward um, into attending events like uh, women hackathons and, you know, writing news articles. But it's more about how you cultivate that talent inside and how this talent that is within your company communicates this to the outer world. Because like I mentioned before, it is it is a small, a small network and it's a small community. It is growing day by day, but it's still it's still a small community. So a lot of kind of information jobs, um, but also information about the different companies that we receive, the data scientists, is mm -hmm. from from our friends, from you know, mouth-to-mouth -mouth kind of communication, things that we find not so much. PR work, but it's more kind of what I find within the communities that I'm part of, who is talking about it, who is embracing this. So if your employees um, are really happy and they radiate that happiness and they can feel included and developed and cultivated within the organization, they will radiate that to the community as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on that. I, I think sometimes companies are lost by the influence their their sort of the colleagues and their employees have when speaking out, especially data science in Copenhagen. I mean, it is a small world in there. You know, compared to some other cities, compared to other sort of industries or sort of dedications, it's so small. I, I've lost count of how many times I've spoken to people and they go, oh, I know him as well. And our friends are here. And it's like, it's so tight-knit, so tight-knit. Um, I even know my name's come up a couple of times, which was very strange <laughs> in the UK. So I know it definitely happens. So I'm completely with you there. And I think the power of that is is, is very, very much lost or, or not concentrated on. So do you think that doing that and having that focus, and it doesn't have to say, you know, well, we're looking for to employ 10 women dates because that's, that's wrong. We're looking that they're open. They actively want it. They want to create an equal environment would be actually worth quite a lot and that would filter down through to this to this gap that we're that we're finding yeah yes exactly so I, I really believe that investing in your employees and kind of really cultivating them making sure that they develop but also they flourish they kind of they are radiating that energy towards everybody else uh, and you do get that that stream so you know you start as a a student assistant, you move into a data science role and then you move higher, higher into management roles. Um, so you kind of cultivate that pipeline of uh, role models, especially if you're focusing on kind of female development as well within your organization. Um, and kind of one country translates into the other. So by default, you will start uh, being more appealing for not just female candidates, every candidate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it would be more diverse by nature. Yeah, I, I, I to me, I, I, you know, I don't know how much of an impact other areas of the world where they would see that return to a level. But I think in Copenhagen specifically, and even Denmark, one hundred percent. I think it's actually a tool that is underestimated uh, that they have in having their arsenal. I'll play devil's advocate actually a little bit on what you said before. Because you mentioned about companies, like we just said, making it clear and you know, radiating that kind of energy and that understanding, great. You've changed up a couple of times, not loads, but a couple of times in your life, yeah, make sure that clear. 
when you've been searching for jobs, have you had more of an active approach towards companies that radiate that energy and have that reputation? Or have you been looking for what they technically are looking to try to achieve? Um, I think for me, um, well, again, Denmark is a really small, small country. So you kind of know it. the companies, but you also know kind of everyone. Um, I don't even, I don't think I even consider applying or kind of looking into companies that I didn't know about this, you know, energy level. Okay. So uh, at least for me, it's kind of, you know, my list of consideration was, I'm not going to even look if you're not investing into this. I'm going to look into how you cultivate your talent, but then also kind of the, the actual problems that we're solving. Yeah. Okay, so it's, a sec it's secondary to what you're looking. It just shows how powerful it is, someone like you to be looking. And actually, the first point you address is really the reputation. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what it is, isn't it? What's the reputation? Exactly, exactly. So if the company doesn't have that culture and that strong, you know, uh, well, not you can call it employee-orientated um, uh, view, then, I mean then what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's amazing, though, because I, I think, especially in these areas, and I think maybe I'll be generalist here, and it's probably not true, but especially in tech, they're probably, there is such a concentration of what they're looking to achieve. Less data science, more like software engineering aspects of, like, the tech, the programming languages they're using, and, you know, how they're influencing in that way. But do you think that's come around because... If you have a, a, you're not trying to address the diversity barrier actively and you're getting similar people apply, they've already crossed that barrier. They're like, I know it's relevant for me. Like, oh, I'm a Danish guy. There's 30 other Danish guys there. Thumbs up. What are you doing technically? So they can lean on those technical mm. USPs because they've already crossed it. When actually they're losing people at, at stage one beforehand. Yeah. No, I think... When I was fresh from university, for me, it was more kind of, Maria, you are on this path. You need to cultivate your skills so much. So I was very keen on to kind of really looking into this, you know, technical challenges that will make me smarter, um, technically wise. Yeah. Um, but then as the time went through and kind of the people I met, um, I, I just remember I had a conversation with one of my managers back in time and she said, well, it's not only about your technical skills. You cannot be, you know, a machine. You also need to have the people skills. And that what kind of really cultivates, not an employee, um, cultivates your personality besides being able to solve the equation and, you know, build the code and make it efficient. You also need to be able to communicate it. You also need to present it, sh share it with the community or um, get the right stakeholders on board, get the funding for it. So, um, and this has kind of struck me because for me, it was all, you know, math, do, 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 go, <laughs> solve. Um, and then, and and then it kind of hit me. You know, she was she was completely right. It's uh, it's also the soft skills, and I can only cultivate that when I'm in a healthy environment. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's an interesting point because I I couldn't agree more. I, I would say that most of the time 
that I can personally add value to companies is because those aspects exist. Like if it was just technical requirements and that's all you needed, just ping out tech tests. Go speak and do master's, PhD graduates, nothing more. Get the best ones in and it's done. You've solved, you've solved the only problem you apparently have when that's obviously totally not the case. And all those actual like soft skills that you mentioned are the key factor between employing someone that's okay and someone that's excellent. Um, you know, to a certain degree with the, the additional technical understanding added on. So I, I completely, completely agree with you there. And I suppose however you diversify that in the best way gives more of those soft skills, doesn't it? That, that gives you more of those areas. <laughs> just, just picking the best technical people. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty with you. Look, I'll ask the opposite to what was going to be the second question. It's now become back all of it. It's normally how it works for me. Um, what advice would you give for women that are starting a career in data science? Because this is the focus here. So what's your advice to them? Because, you know, look, as we discussed before, there's that gap where it falls off. Now, to bridge that gap, you've got to build a bridge from both sides. Mm. So there's a level of responsibility on both ends. Yeah. Where can they, you know, if you say they thought about or where can they take from responsibility in this as well and, and help these companies out? Yes, and, and that's, a, that's a good question. That is something I've been saying and I'm going to be saying for a long time. <laughs> it's not only from, you know, the employer side to make sure you're informed. You also have to take an action. Absolutely. And that means you have to press that button and apply. You have to get your confidence up that you can do it. And even if you don't have it, fake it until you make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a mantra I live by. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> it is to push your boundaries and step out of your comfort zone and, you know, really get out there. Nobody will... I mean, if it's really nice and uh, you're really lucky, people will approach you to get your own board, but you have to do the legwork too. Yeah. So it is um, step out of your comfort zone as much as to the extent possible, of course. But then also if you feel uncomfortable or you don't think you filled in all the criteria, put on the hat and try to do your best. You probably underestimate yourself in so many levels. Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, <laughs> I would imagine. So I suppose I think as points we've addressed a few times here, like where it's not making it appealing or having that. Oh, you know, let's, you know, I can see that there's a linear path to this, as I mentioned. That risk that they feel must feel like a little bit more. Like, oh, I'm, are they going to be welcoming? Are they going to have this? Like, you know, those those aspects are going to be a little bit. But do you feel that? Just to add into again, devil's advocate, that companies are doing this that actually are trying to give that reputation and there's maybe an other reasons why they're not looking to apply. Like, is it true? Or I, I think I'm asking the wrong in a, in a bad way, but do you understand what I'm saying? Like companies are trying to achieve that. And I know that is the case as well. They're not just hypothetically, they are physically trying to achieve that. And yet there's people still not applying. Mm. So where does that come into it? for that aspect is there is there other parts to it is there sort of a, a secret recipe that you might have where they can change or no but it, I, I mean i think uh, a good example was um the hackathon event that we created with kind of our partner companies and and the female candidates what yeah. we did there was kind of push the boundaries and make sure 
at least the people that had attended the event had a good understanding that they didn't have that they could do it right it is to boost the self-esteem they could see that you know a company presented with a problem that is very likely their internal data scientists have been working with um, and they can solve it in in, in just two days with uh, with their computer uh, and and the skills as they have today even if they haven't graduated yet so it's kind of um, there needs to be more work done into kind of boosting the self-esteem. We do tend as females to check all the boxes and every requirement that is presented and required for, for a job. And there is this gap of, you know, we feel nine out of 10 uh, criteria. So it's probably, we're not the best candidates. I can see that in myself um, where I, I criticize myself in a, in a way that I'm probably very good at something, but I will not admit it. So, um, yeah, it is, uh, it's work in progress. It's still work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, you know, I like, I like that connotation as well, that understanding of maybe being a bit more reserved or concerned and, and analytical about it. Yeah, I mean, that's not something that resonates with me. I would I would tick two out of the 10 boxes and go, I think that'll be enough. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I'll be the the other end of the uh, of the spectrum. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So yeah, I, from what I took from that, it seems that as we said, I think the the bridge is quite a good metaphor that companies can build this reputation and and show they're making an effort for people um, to be diverse, and then vice versa, people take a bit of a plunge and take a bit of a of a risk and and see what actually is out there and instead of waiting for it to be exactly perfect. Quite, I quite like that idea uh, of it meeting in the middle. Look, yeah. I think you've got most well, stuff. It's really interesting to speak and see about your exposure and and see about how you think of the market and to go further on. Is there? We did mention it before we started speaking a little bit, but you got any more plans for the woman hacker and the, these hackathons to go to go further on in, into the future? Absolutely, absolutely. Stay tuned. <laughs> good, good. I would I would be really interested to find out how that goes actually. And, uh, and what companies are, are taking that on board. But really appreciate talking, Maria. Um, good to have a, have, have a catch up with you. So I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, Luke. Have a good no day. Thanks to you. Thanks for your time.